0: Finally, on to tonight's event. So tonight's talk is about dangerous consumer products from history through to today. Products that poisoned, injured or killed. Plus the marketing campaigns that went along with them. We'll take a look at products that turned out to be fine and things we know are bad for us, but we consume anyway. Uh, To discuss, we're going to be joined by David Frank, who's a marketer, a teacher and a former radio show host. Uh, He's originally from Australia, but we won't hold that against him. But he obtained his master's degree in marketing from Edinburgh Napier University in the UK, and he is currently based right here in Seattle. David's 100% free-range, don't worry, he's organic, with no added hormones or unnecessary antibiotics. He is, however, known in the state of California to cause cancer, as is customary. He's joined on stage by Virginia Ng, a food microbiologist and the director of regulations and food processing at the Seafood Products Association. She holds a master's in biological sciences from California State Polytechnic University at Pomona. And Virginia's favorite vices include ice cream, the extra dose of radiation that comes from flying, and movie marathons. Tonight's talk is gonna take roughly an hour, but as they say, the dose is in the poison. Side effects may include low blood pressure, high blood pressure, constipation, diarrhea, insomnia, narcolepsy, drowning, dehydration, seizures, and of course, sudden death. So buckle up. Please put your hands together for David Frank and Virginia Ng.
1: That's an excellent start to the evening, being on mute. Good evening, my name is David Frank.
2: And I'm Virginia Ng.
1: And tonight we're gonna to talk about dangerous products. We're gonna start with some dangerous products, then we're gonna move on to ones that turned out to be safe, followed by ones that are on the market and are dangerous now and you should probably avoid, followed by some things that we know are dangerous but we consume anyway. Finally, we're gonna give you some tips on how to research, followed by a Q&A. Let's start with DDT. Hands up those who are at least familiar with DDT. How many of you, you can put your hands down, were around when it was distributed and might have a memory of seeing a DDT product in your house or it being distributed in your neighbourhood? Okay, some of you. So, during the Q&A, it doesn't just have to be Q&A. If you've got a story to tell about that, we'd love to hear your stories. DDT or dichlorodiphenyl... Dichlorodiphenyl trichloroethane? Did I get that right?
2: Yeah, you're getting better.
1: Okay, so how do I pronounce that?
2: Dichlorodiphenyl trichloroethane.
1: Okay, so this was discovered, not by this gentleman, but it was popularised and discovered its use for killing insects by Mr Paul Hermann Muller, and he received a Nobel Prize for this. Now, this is part of the reason why we don't give out Nobel Prizes immediately after a discovery, because this turned out to be really bad for us. He did, however, discover how useful it is at killing uh, body lice that cause typhus and malaria-causing mosquitoes. DDT came in all sorts of product packaging, some of which would be alien and some some of which would be familiar to us today. For example, the Flit Plunger looks very alien to us. This is what they used before they had the modern aerosol. And also, as we can see from galleries of these products, when something looks rusty, it looks extra creepy. Some of the packaging is familiar to us, for example, sprays, insect bombs, powders and the like. And you could even get wooden wallpaper that was laced with DDT. DDT was also distributed uh, on the farms, sometimes by plane. So whether or not you wanted it, it could be in your food. It was marketed to children. Of course, nothing says I love you more than wallpaper laced with DDT poison in your child's nursery. There are lots of reasons that they promoted it as being safe for children and child-friendly. They frequently used anthropomorphic smiling creatures in the marketing. My favourite, however, is from a fly looking very sad in a jail cell with the caption, Sentenced to die. From the company Bugaboo, no less. But we know these days that DDT is bad for us, Virginia.
2: So DDT is dangerous because it is so stable in the environment, and it's able to move up the food chain using bioaccumulation. That's why birds were so largely affected, because the birds would eat the dragonflies, and the dragonflies would eat the mosquitoes that got sprayed with DDT. So in 1972, it was banned in the US, but to this day, it's still used in other countries. A recent study showed that there was an association not causation, between DDT and autism. One hypothesis says that maybe this is because DDT causes premature birth and low, um, low weight at birth, which are two risk factors for autism.
1: Thallium is an element on the periodic table, and it was used as a depilatory, that is, a hair removal cream. In the 1930s, it was introduced to the market, by 1931, the American Medical Association started receiving poisoning reports and it was banned in some states. By 1932, the company entered bankruptcy. Now where once there was a product on the market, it came out as a poison thereafter. It was a very effective rodenticide, as depicted here by this very racist advertisement. Now. Being a very useful poison, it was available in houses. So in the 1950s, there was a thallium craze in Australia, a string of murders by various people. I love the term thallium craze because it reminds me of the Tickle Me Elmo craze, (laughs) which there I go again, dating myself. That one was back in 1996. Another interesting mention of thallium in the history books was the 2004 Darwin Awards, where some enterprising young Russian soldiers received an honorary mention. You see, on their Siberian air base, or army base, they were rummaging around the dump and they found these canisters filled with this mystery white powder. And what do young men do when they find a mystery young pa- uh, white powder? Well, they rubbed it on their feet like talcum powder. They put it in their rolled-up cigarettes and they snorted it. They started losing their hair within a couple days and some of them needed to be airlifted to hospital. Thallium was also in many fiction tales. For example, Agatha Christie's The Pale Horse. I'm sorry for any spoilers there. An episode of House, an episode of NCIS, and the 2015 Bond film Spectre.
2: So like David was mentioning, Thallium can get into your system via ingestion, absorption through your skin, or inhalation. And it... It behaves very similarly, chemical-wise, to potassium and sodium ions that are naturally found in your nervous system. So, because of these similarities in behavior, when thallium gets into your body, it hijacks these mechanisms. So, you end up with neurological symptoms.
1: Lead. On screen, I've got a screenshot from the YouTube video lead-based makeup tutorial for spring from the Ask a Mortician YouTube channel for those who are dying for beauty. Of course, there is one person from history who's very famous for using lead-based white makeup. Does anyone know who that was? I'll give you a clue. Which Elizabeth? Elizabeth I. Well done. How old are you, by the way? Eight. She's eight years old and she's the only person who put up her hand in the audience <laughs> of 80. I didn't even have to put the clue on screen of the movie. That's uh, Margot Robbie from the movie Mary Squin of Cots. So anyway, uh, Elizabeth I used to pile it on. Now this damaged her skin quite badly. This was... Uh, a poison that could be absorbed through the skin, and so she'd have to pile it on, layer upon layer, sometimes not taking it off. This caused a conundrum for the court painters who had to paint the queen in a flattering manner, and their survival technique here was to paint the queen in, in, in quite abstract ways. Lead-based makeup, uh, known as Venetian ceruse or spirits of satin, has its origins all the way back in the Shang dynasty, 1600 BCE, It was used in ancient Greece and was popular from 16th to 19th century England. But how do we get this brilliant white powder from metallic lead? Well, you get this grey-looking rock from the ground, and you mix it with vinegar. And then what you do is you bury it in cow dung. And you wait a while, and that warmth from the cow dung fuels this endothermic reaction. And out of the darkness, you get this brilliant white powder, which you can then put on your face. Lead paint is very famous and was popular for a very long time. There was a booklet released by the National Lead Company for their Dutch Lead Boy paint. And you can uh, read a a booklet that they released, a colouring booklet for children, in which they normalised and promoted lead-based product as healthful. I've got the booklet going around the audience and you can view it on our website, dangerousproductstalk.com and we're going to link that to you at the end. It wasn't just paint that was sold, bullets, plumbing, the word plumbing comes from the Latin plumbum, meaning lead, roofs, gutters, gasoline, an artificial sweetener. The Romans used it as an artificial sweetener. The sad truth about why children enjoy licking lead, lead paint off walls and their toys is because lead tastes sweet. Now, the reason why the Romans used it so much is because it's so malleable and easy to work with and cheap. And truthfully, they didn't receive that higher dosages. They knew that lead caused madness, sterility and death, but only for those exposed to high levels of it, the slaves who were mining it.
2: So David already talked about how lead gets into your body. When lead gets into your body, it really loves these groups that are vital to most of the functions um, in your body called sulfylhydro groups. So it binds onto it really tightly and it preoccupies it from doing anything, such as making heme. What does heme sound like to you guys? Hemoglobin? So heme helps transfer oxygen from one area of your body to another. So with lead, it prevents this from happening because there's no heme protection. It also uh, messes up with the communication between your nervous system, and it inhibits protein kinase C, which is really important for memory and learning and growth, which is why it's very detrimental to children who are going through these early stages of development. Additionally, lead will cause an abundance of free radicals to form in your body and these free radicals start attacking your own cells and thus causing oxidative stress.
1: Virginia, I'm going to be honest. When you said, what does heme make you think of, I thought of impossible burgers, but that's just me. (laughs) Arsenic is another element from the periodic table. It was a very effective poison. We knew it was a poison for a very, very long time. It was a very effective rodenticide and insecticide. One product which was in the home were fly sheets where you put a sheet on the wall that comes pre-impregnated with arsenic and a fly would land on it, but it wouldn't die right away. It might have enough time to fly away, land on your food, where it would spread a bit of that arsenic onto your food and then fly away and die. We've also got a book at the front called Bitten by Witch Fever, which contains many samples of Victorian-era wallpapers using brilliant arsenic green and other coloured dyes. Arsenic was also used in uh, dress dyes as well and would shed little granules of arsenic on the dance floor. If anyone makes a murder-on-the-dance-floor joke, the doors are on either side of the room. (laughs) In addition to being used in textile printing, it was also used in taxidermy textile products. It was quite a versatile little product.
2: arsenic reacts just like lead in that it loves, loves, loves sulfur hydro groups So the manifestation is very similar to what was previously described with the lead situation.
1: Mercury, does anyone know, anyone, especially if you're aged eight or below, the popular name for mercury? Yell that out again, please. Quicksilver. Quicksilver. I'm not going to ask how old you are. Quicksilver. (laughs) I normally, if no one gets it, I say, here's the hint, an X-Men character. I'm glad I didn't have to. Uh, Yeah, lead, very toxic, uh, as is mercury. Now, one popular mercury product was mercurochrome, an antiseptic. So if you see this product in your parents' or grandparents' medicine cabinet and the label says it's from 1998 or before you might want to dispose of that. Rabbit fur... Oh, there's a question in the audience. Oh, it can have, have no yes. So there was an eight-year-old in the audience. Thank you. Uh, Who said, did the uh, mercury in otter fur hats make him go mad? So there's a really good book and I've got a copy of it at the front. It's called Fashion Victims and it's got an entire section on that. The interesting thing here is, otter fur? No, but the otters in Europe were basically hunted to extinction so they had to switch to rabbit. And when you're making rabbit hats, you have to use mercury. So it was the rabbit fur hats that contained mercury. And it wasn't just the hatters who would go mad from it because the people buying it would still be exposed to the mercury in it. And uh, Virginia will talk a little bit about the delivery method in a moment. But to this day, there are rabbit fur felt top hats in museums around the world that need to be stored in mylar plastic bags because the mercury vapour is still coming off them and they need to protect the museum workers. Another product were daguerreotype early photographic plates. And vermilion makeup contained mercury. That was banned in the US in 1920.
2: So toxins cannot get enough of your sulfur hydro groups because mercury loves them too. Except in this instance, because 80% of elemental mercury is inhaled, and because mercury is able to cross cell barriers very very, uh, easily, When you inhale it, it actually is able to cross the blood-brain barrier, which then accumulates in your brain and starts to deteriorate your central nervous system. When this happens, you start going crazy. You get irritable, you have behavioral changes, and with enough of a dosage, death is imminent.
1: I'm going to talk about a few of my favorite unusual electric products. On screen, I've got a picture of the electric vitality belt marketed for men's virility. And uh, whether or not you're in the audience and can see, I'm sure the people listening to the podcast can just imagine where it attaches to the male's vital parts. Electric devices were also sold as cure-alls. They would literally be marketed as curing absolutely everything. Now, there was one example where it did actually have a function, other than giving you a bit of a buzz, and that is it was sold as a... As a self-cauterization tool, now cauterizing is used for sealing hemorrhaging wounds that are bleeding very heavily. The reason why we don't do this in the household today is because cauterized wounds using this method are very susceptible to infection. My absolute favorite unusual electric product was the electric tablecloth from the very early 20th century when electricity was new. It was a heated tablecloth, which was pretty nifty, right? You had these uninsulated wires running up and down the tablecloth, <laughs> and what people would do was they would, they could get these special light bulb bases with a light bulb in it, and you just jam it through the tablecloth directly into the wires. Now it's pretty cool that you could have an electric candle, if you will, on your table with no wires, but those wires were not insulated. So if you were to spill a liquid at the dinner table, that might be the last opportunity that you ever get to do that. If you're interested in more unusual electric devices, I can highly recommend the book, The Body Electric, How Strange Machines Built the Modern American.
2: When a high voltage sends current through your body, it's enough to excite all of your neural cells. And depending on how high the current is and how long you're hanging in there, different things can happen to your body. At lower currents, such as six milliamperes, you might get a painful shock. With increasing uh, currents, you might get thrown away, or you might reach a threshold where you can't let go anymore, even if you want to. Then you'll experience respiratory arrest at higher currents. You'll have some irregular heartbeat. And then finally, very, very high currents. You'll have uh, some burns and you'll literally burn to death.
1: Hands up everyone who's ever lived in a house with asbestos in it. It was banned in the 70s in the US. It was in everything. Structural things like roofs and ceilings. And fences. It was in wiring insulation. In fact, there were many products that didn't contain any asbestos in the product itself, like say a slow cooker, but it might be in the wiring insulation. It was also used in duct tape for things like uh, dry vents and heat vents, where today we use aluminium foil tape. That's right, aluminium. <laughs> it was in all sorts of appliances like toasters, hair dryers. During the intro, I had some jingles from some cigarette companies. And uh, Micronite filters contained asbestos. And uh, that, that's just mind-blowing that people were in- inhaling that directly. It was in things like irons, for ironing your clothes. And right now, there's a case in the courts because talcum powder was sold by Johnson & Johnsons, who knowingly sold it and marketed it for use with babies, even though it was contaminated with asbestos and that's because asbestos and talcum powder are found right next to each other in veins in the earth's crust. Asbestos was also found throughout automobiles, from hood liners to seals, gaskets, even brake pads. That's right, every time you'd brake, you'd be spreading asbestos dust throughout your neighborhood. And if they were all throughout cars, you can bet that they were all throughout uh, trains and airplanes as well.
2: So as you can see from the image on the right-hand side, asbestos fibers are really, really sharp. And they usually mind their own business unless they're loose or you disturb them. And when you inhale asbestos fibers, your body understands that it's an intruder. So it deploys your immune systems, and your immune systems throw out a bunch of free radicals to try to break these down. But you can't break down these asbestos fibres. So, there's just a buildup of free radicals in your body, which starts to create scarring and eventually mesothelioma, which is cancer.
1: X-rays. When X-ray experimenters started losing hair in the early 20th century, clinics offering X-ray hair removal emerged. According to TreeCo system ads gathered by the Museum of Questionable Medical Devices, this was a harmless way to avoid, and I quote, futile, dangerous and injurious means of removing disfiguring superfluous hair. Clients would get an up to four-minute dose of x-rays directly to, say, the face, often once a week for several months. And yes, it could be an effective, permanent method of hair removal. Another popular X-ray device were X-ray shoe-fitting machines and, once again, hands up whoever saw one of these or used one of these. A few people in the audience. They were in use from the 1920s to the 1970s and over 10,000 were sold in the US. Legislation cracked down on them more and more with 33, 33 states banning them by 1970 and the remaining 17 making it so strictly regulated that their use became impractical. The last sighting of one of these was in a department store in Boston in the 1970s. Just quickly, do you think these were dangerous, X-ray shoe-fitting machines? Well, for the actual customers, not really, because hands and feet are surprisingly resilient to radiation and X-ray damage. However, for the salespeople, unfortunately, these machines were not very well insulated, and they would get a large radiation dose over time.
2: So David mentioned that these x-rays were used for hair removal. Well, you also got severe burns. And that's because dosages in the early x-ray days were 1,500 times more than they are today. Also, it took 90 minutes to finalize an x-ray image versus the 20 milliseconds that you get nowadays.
1: I'm going to talk about some radioactive products. Now, the first ones were our f- fiesta ware, and our lovely MC tonight, Mr. David Wood, will be telling us some interesting stories about this during the Q and A. Some products contain radioactive paints, as uh, so for example these plates and cups uh, that were painted with lace, uh, paint laced with uranium two three eight. And you can buy these on eBay. They are a collector's item through to today. Uranium glass was popular from the 1880s to the 1920s and it fluoresces green under UV light. It doesn't glow normally under darkness, it just fluoresces back at you under a black or a UV light. And not because the product is radioactive, but because that's a property of uranium. For example, if it was glass laced with manganese, it would fluoresce back at you red, and that's not a radioactive element. These products are not safe to eat off of, but you're perfectly fine having them on the shelf and getting out your blacklight and showing your friends. It's really cool. Another interesting product was the Atomic Energy Lab. This was discontinued, not because of the danger, but because uranium powder and a Geiger counter was not an exciting toy for kids compared to, say, the reactive chemistry sets, which went bang, fizzled, and changed colour. While not radioactive, those chemistry sets did have thin plastic tubes, caustic, flammable, and explosive chemicals which burned, blinded, and killed kids. The good news is that many prominent scientists today, uh, many children who survived that became many prominent scientists today who cite these kits as sparking their interest in science. Now, before we had the modern energy drink, radioactive energy tonics were all the rage in the early 20th century. There was one very sad tale about Ebenezer Eben Byers, an American socialite, industrialist and athlete who loved these things. He would down five of them per day. At the time of his death, he had to be buried in a lead-laced casket because his body was so radioactive. Now, if you want to learn about the tale of his, his downfall, I can highly recommend the book Quackery by Oregonians Dr Lydia Kang and Nate Pedersen. Other radioactive products include radioactive makeup, radioactive chocolate, an alternative to putting cold cucumber slices on your eyes if, you have a, if you're having a bad day. Uh, people would put radioactive things on their eyes. <laughs> Again, cure-all. There was radioactive tooth- toothpaste, radioactive suppositories for both vaginas and hemorrhoids and my favourite, Vita Radium suppositories for, and I quote, restoring men's sex power. Because nothing says Lothario in the morning like shoving a radioactive pellet up your bottom.
2: So all of this talk of radiation is probably making everybody a little nervous, but the truth is we're surrounded by radiation. In fact, we emit a little bit of it ourselves. The difference is that on one side of the spectrum, you have very low energy level frequencies, and these are called non-ionizing radiation. And they're so low that they can't really do any harm. But as you go across to the other side of the spectrum, these energy levels start to increase until you reach a threshold. And on the other side of the threshold, this energy level is so high that it's able to dislodge things inside of you or break your DNA. This high energy level belongs to the second type of radiation called ionizing radiation.
1: I just see like an eight year old in the audience nodding. I agree. <laughs> Glad you understood that. Okay, so <laughs> if you're interested in radiation dosages and uh, how like we're always exposed to them, I highly recommend on the website XKCD their radiation dosage chart. It's xkcd.com forward slash radiation. And on it, two blue squares represents the background dose received by an average person over one normal day. For comparison one dental X-ray is equivalent to half a day's background radiation dose. A flight between New York and L.A. is equivalent to two so is equivalent to four days' radiation exposure. It helps to put things into perspective. Now, I'm going to talk about a different product, and I want you to tell the person next to you when you think you know which product I'm talking about. OK? Eat, 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 and always stay thin. No diet, no no baths, no exercise. Fat, the energy that is shortening your life, banished. How? I want you to say to the person next to you what you think this product might be. I'll give you five seconds. I hear sugar, heroin, heroin. (laughs) it's not cocaine. cocaine. (laughs) It's not margarine. We talk about margarine later. I did hear it, though. It was with sanitised tapeworms.
2: (laughs) Sanitised. Very important.
1: (laughs) Friends for a fair form. Easy to swallow. No ill effects. In 2012, Tyra Banks did an episode on this where she had a panel of experts. And they would tell the audience how tapeworms can cause anemia, malnutrition, and if the tapeworm leaves your digestive tract and gets loose around your body, all manner of problems. Well, Tara came to the conclusion that tapeworms were a no-no. But that didn't stop some people in her audience from saying they would try it. In fact, in 2015, Khloe Kardashian said I would do anything for a tapeworm. Mm -hmm. Well, the good news is that there is no evidence that this product was ever popular. But, in 2013, an Iowan woman bought some off the internet and successfully infected herself with tapeworms. She had to be hospitalized, prompting the Iowan Department of Health to issue statements telling the public, please don't purposefully infect yourself with tapeworms. Now, no matter how much research I did and how many media articles I I researched, I could not find a single photo of this particular woman, so I've just inserted a picture of Virginia. (laughs) but it's OK, she can get her revenge on me later. <laughs> Has anyone ever heard of Olestra or Oline? OK, I hear a lot of yes in the audience. Did you know that it made number 38 on Time magazine's 50 worst inventions of all time? It was a fat replacement that had the same taste and mouthfeel as fat that is banned in the EU and Canada. But after a 30-year battle with the FDA, Procter and Gamble managed to convince the FDA to approve it. Now, it does impede vitamin absorption, but the final nail in the coffin for this product was that it got out that this product causes anal leakage. (laughs) That's right. After an explosive market debut, where customers were just gushing about the ability to have as much fat as they wanted, this gut-wrenching story ends positively. It did escape the bowels of product development hell and came out the other end repurposed as a machine lubricant and deck stain additive. <laughs> so...
2: Some fats are actually really good for you, Uh, they store energy, they can uh, give you structural support, they insulate and protect your vital organs, and they make me extra huggable. The first type of uh, fatty acid we're going to talk about is saturated fatty acid, where there are hydrogens that run all along this carbon backbone, making it very difficult Uh, to move and bend around. It's very, very rigid, which is why it's commonly found as a solid form at room temperature, such as um, bacon grease or lard or butter. The second type is unsaturated fatty acids. The difference here is that there's a double bond somewhere on that carbon backbone that allows there to be not as many hydrogens, so that allows this unsaturated fatty acid to bend a little bit more, which is why you often find this as a liquid at room temperature. For example, olive oil or vegetable oil. But fats have had a historically bad reputation. The 1977 low-fat guidelines essentially said animal fat's bad, Vegetable fat's good. So food manufacturers were trying to figure out how can we make vegetable oil rigid like butter so that people will feel butter about themselves. (laughs) (laughs) I can do puns too, David. So enter in hydrogenated margarine the answer to everything, not really. So uh, you essentially have a uh, pressurized container that you stick vegetable oil in. You also throw in some hydrogen in the form of bubbles and then you also introduce a metal catalyst which hurries the process along. The goal of hydrogenation was to force hydrogen into that vegetable oil backbone in order to make it rigid. The problem is that with uh, unbound or incomplete hydrogenation, trans fats are produced. And trans fats can increase the cholesterol in your arteries, causing potential for heart disease. So because of this, um, since 2018, this is rather recent, artificial trans fats have
1: been banned in the US. Next, we're going to talk about some products that turned out to be fine
2: saccharin was discovered in 1878 and was used readily by the public up until a 1977 research study showed that saccharin causes bladder cancer in rats because of this study there was a ban on saccharin which turned into a warning because there was huge consumer outrage And it wasn't until there was even more research into and through into the 1990s that showed this phenomenon of bladder cancer only actually happened in male rats because male rats have a unique biology. Their bladders have a high pH, a high protein, and high sodium ion levels. And this makes for a perfect storm when mixed with saccharin causing crystals to form in the bladder, which irritates the lining of the bladder, causing cancer. So, in 2000, because of all this research, it finally got delisted from the carcinogens list.
1: Now, uh, firstly, I mean, you mentioned there were people who who were using it, and there were diabetics as well, who were like, don't ban our saccharin, it's the only... It's the only sugar alternative we've got.
2: Otherwise, how can we eat anything?
1: To which I say, had they tried lead artificial sweetener? (laughs) Virginia mentioned, well, hashtag justinrats. In fact, there's a Twitter account just says in mice. And what this Twitter account does is it'll quote a media article about some scientific study. And if that study is just in rats, it'll just say the words in rats, or in this case, in mice. For example, here we see an article, keto diet not effective causes blood sugar problems in women. In rats. Here's another one about exercise and obesity. In mice. And if you see a media article and you go back to the original scientific research and you see that they're just using mice or rats and that the media isn't explicitly stating that, or certainly not in the headline, you can tweet... That article with the words say in mice, and then tag ash- at just says in mice, and the just says in mice Twitter account will retweet what you said. It's dependent on all of us to help and become citizen journalists and citizen scientists. And there are quite a few similar ones. For example, there is just says in rats, just says risks because absolute versus relative risks are, are important. Only in men, because gender bias in research is a problem. And say sample size, because sometimes scientific research has small sample sizes.
2: So another product that was thought to be dangerous was actually tomatoes. And as depicted in this 1988 movie, Return of the Killer Tomatoes, starring George Clooney. really handsome. (laughs) So tomatoes have a low pH, ranging between... 3.8 to 4.8, and this is all dependent on strain as well as harvest time. Now, tomatoes were served on pewter plates that had lead in them. The acidity from the tomatoes would actually help leach out that lead. And so you weren't really getting poisoned by the fruit, you were actually getting poisoned by the lead.
1: Also, deadly nightshades family, as were potatoes. Both of them came from the New World. They were new, sorry, yes, they were new to Europe. Potatoes were banned in France. They were thought to cause leprosy. They were only used for hog feed. And they were avoided even by starving peasants in pre revolutionary France. We can thank Antoine Augustin Parmentier for helping to popularise the uh, potato to the French, and then it expanded from there. Uh, there's a story that, hap- uh, that apparently he planted these potatoes knowing that they're very nutritionist. He was, after all, a pharmacist, nutritionist, and potato uh, promoter. And he posted guards outside his garden plot, and he instructed those guards to accept any and all bribes from the peasants who were trying to steal his potatoes. And from there, they grew it, they realised they were fine, and supposedly that's one way that they became unbanned in France. I'm going to briefly talk about cell phone towers. Now, some people think that they cause all sorts of problems. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about ionising and non-ionising radiation, but the fact of the matter is, uh, some people, they do have symptoms. They have... Skin reactions, gastrointestinal issues, sleeplessness, anxiety, uh, heart problems. Um, But is it caused by this? Well, some people leave the area and it goes away. And there's a concept called the nocebo effect, which I highly recommend that people go off and research. People who are experiencing these symptoms that are physically experiencing them. But the causal attribution might be a little bit different and there are delicate ways to go about educating people and doing experiments with them to help them overcome this.
2: So speaking of cell phones, some people think that cell phones are dangerous. But remember that chart that I showed you between ionizing and non-ionizing? Cell phones fall on that non-ionizing area where they emit low energy level frequencies. So the real danger really with cell phone use is uh, those car accidents as well as falling into holes in the sidewalk like this lady did because you're not paying attention to your surroundings and only paying attention to your cell phone. Also, the other other danger in cell phone use is that there's ten times more bacteria on your cell phone than on most toilet seats. So do not lick your cell phones.
1: Mm. And wash your hands before you eat.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Microwaves fall into that same low energy level frequency as cell phones that I was just talking about. How microwaves work is that those waves are actually uh, taken in by water molecules found in your food and the water molecules start vibrating very, very aggressively. And this causes friction which thus heats up your food. All that movement is the heat. So something that is very controversial is irradiated food. Now we talked about non-ionizing radiation in those previous two slides. Irradiation uses ionizing radiation to kill bacteria that can be found in your food, and this bacteria might cause illness or disease or anything like that and so by killing that, it makes the food safer. It's also really good for extending shelf life because you're killing that spoilage bacteria and it's also used for quarantining fruit from other countries so that you don't have invasive insects coming into this country. Hey
1: Virginia, does irradiated food become radioactive?
2: No, it doesn't because the food is not actually contacting the radi- radioactive material. So. If I, if I can use a, an analogy, um, imagine a flashlight being the radioactive material and the light being emitted from the flashlight is that um, ionizing radiation. If I shine that flashlight onto you and then I turn off that flashlight, do you continue shining? Right? I wish I, was, I had this effervescent glow, but it doesn't, right? If you touch your friend and give him a handshake, does he start glowing? No, right? So, I hope that kind of answers yeah. your question.
1: Yeah. Next, we're going to talk about some current dangerous products that we consume anyway. And I was going to originally call this section Have Some Intellectual Honesty, Will Ya? <laughs> and I'll give you some examples. Firstly, dosage does make the poison. For example... High levels of oxygen cause blindness. This is very important when you're giving oxygen to, say, uh, premature babies. Water in very high doses, very, very high doses, can be fatal. If anyone did drug education in the last 30 years, you should know that some people take ecstasy, then drink that too much water and can die. Next up is popcorn lung. there's this very famous tale of a man who, as part of his weekly ritual, would microwave some microwave popcorn and he'd open up the packet and take a big whiff. Now, he ended up getting something called popcorn lung, where the chemical used to line the paper bag ate away at his lungs. And there was a lawsuit about that. The fact of the matter is, in the doses that every, everyone else would get from it, It's not going to cause popcorn lung. It's because he had a very unusual usage of the product that he got that dosage. And also it's an ingredient in some vapes, which is why it's under investigation. Nutmeg is... Does anyone know? What is nutmeg? It's not poisonous. Hand up at the back. Yes, nutmeg in high enough dosages is a hallucinogen. You can snort it, you can smoke it, you can ingest it. For example, when eating an entire pint of ice cream to yourself, you will be tripping for two days. Side effects include nausea, vomiting, diarrhoea, nerve problems and heartbeat problems which can be fatal. There were 67 cases of nutmeg exposure in the US in 2010. Nutmeg intoxication epidemics were seen in the early 1900s and a small resurgence was seen in the mid-1960s. Of course it was. (laughs) Arsenic is also something that in low enough dosages, while poisonous, won't kill you. In fact, there was a tale of a 19th century Victorian English wealthy gentleman who would sprinkle some arsenic on his porridge every morning to purposefully give him diarrhoea because that was the equivalent of the modern-day colonic irrigation back then. They thought it would be nice to, you know, clear yourself out every now and then. And one morning he said to his wife, Dear, I feel like being extra cleansed out today. I've got a big day ahead of me. I would like some extra arsenic on my cereal, please. This is how posh British people sound. <laughs> Isn't that right? Thank you. Now, she was tried and convicted for his murder. Mercury, in low doses, was used as a treatment for syphilis. The photo on screen is a photo of some rhubarb from my garden. I own the copyright to this image. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Seattle Food Gardener. Half my friends in the audience, especially those in the front row, are going, oh, my God, I can't believe he did that. <laughs> the other half of my friends in the audience are going, yeah, he did that. We knew he would. Anyway, so I've got a story. I, so I grow lots of food, and I, I grow rhubarb. Now, rhubarb leaves contain high doses of oxalic acid, which is very poisonous. But the stems are very low in oxalic acid and very safe to consume. That's why you can buy it at the supermarket. Now, I didn't eat the leaves, but I did make a jam from those stems. And when you concentrate the rhubarb, it concentrates the flavour and the oxalic acid, and I got very sick. Now, um, I clearly survived, but if you are prone to getting kidney stones, your doctor will tell you, don't eat too much rhubarb, don't have too much dark chocolate, and don't have too much coffee, among other things. If you're interested in this, I can highly recommend a video from the YouTube channel ASAP Science called This Much Will Kill You.
2: A tool that can define dangerous is the International Agency for Research on Cancer, or IARC. And this is actually under the uh, World Health Organization, aka WHO. And what they do is they don't conduct any new research themselves, but what they do is they review a lot of research that has been peer reviewed and they try to come to a conclusion on whether or not a product is dangerous or rather cancerous. And they have five main categories. Category one, it means that they've researched everything and without a doubt it is definitely cancerous. This will definitely give you cancer. Um, Category 2A and 2B are probably and possibly, respectively, um, depending on, and this is um, because there's not that much research in humans. Category 3 is where most of the reviewed compounds lie under. And this is not classifiable as... Uh, to carcinogenicity in humans, meaning the information that they're researching is inconclusive. And the last category, category four, is without a doubt, all of the research says that this is not cancerous. The problem with this analysis is that it only looks at the strength of the evidence and not how carcinogenic it is. So just because two items are in the same category doesn't mean they have the same risk. Another label that you might be aware of, because we're on the West Coast, is California's Prop 65, this thing might give you health problems label. This was enacted originally in 1986 to help California residents have safe drinking water. But nowadays, anybody can just throw in a lawsuit and force a company to put this label on, uh, because there's very, 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 very minute amounts of something that is harmful, a chemical that is harmful. An example of this is back in 2010, an association tried to have coffee have this label. Because during the roasting process of coffee beans, a small amount of acrylamide is produced. And I'll talk a little bit more about acrylamide later. But acrylamide is a carcinogen. So they're still in this whole legal battle to try to figure this out.
1: Uh, Virginia, do I cause cancer? Should I get a Proposition 65 label?
2: No, David. Unfortunately, you're just an irritant.
1: (laughs) The interesting thing is I can talk as a marketer and expert on consumer behavior about what people end up doing with these labels. And because they're just everywhere, especially if you go down to California, you see them really everywhere, on buildings, on almost every food, uh, people just start ignoring them, thus defeating the purpose.
2: Next up, raw milk. So raw milk is is a dangerous product um, because in a dairy cow, you've got a lot of bacteria coming from the feces and the urine that might just trickle down onto the udder right before milking. Um, You can also find this bacteria if there's an infection in the mammary glands. And also, if the cow is sick, it might inherently shed bacteria itself. And so, because raw milk does not go through a pasteurization, which is heating, It it doesn't go through this pasteurization process, which kills bacteria that might cause you harm. So young children, the elderly, pregnant, and immunocompromised are especially susceptible because their immune systems are not strong enough to fight off these dangerous bacteria. Another trendy thing that is out there nowadays is activated charcoal, and I'm only going to talk about the ingested part. Um, so, activated charcoal has a lot of holes on the inside, and this helps to increase its surface area. The reason why you want to increase the surface area is because historically, activated charcoal was used in a medical setting to help bind to poisonings and be treated, be, be used as an antidote for poisonings. It's dangerous nowadays because it will bind to anything in your stomach and intestines at the same time it is. So, um, say goodbye to your antioxidants, say goodbye to your vitamins. If you take activated charcoal with your medication, that might bind to your birth control pills or your antidepressants. So, it also slows down your bowels, which causes a little bit more stress on your body.
1: Next up, we're going to talk about some dangerous products that you buy anyway, but am not necessarily going to recommend against it. I mean, I love Facebook. I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of that, even though that erodes my privacy and erodes my democracy. <laughs> I use a credit card for the convenience and the reward points, and I use loyalty cards because they give me something back. I also really love delicious food. I love salty food. I love... Crunchy food, highly processed food. The irony is, whenever I would have Virginia over to work on this talk, I'd make her something unhealthy. The first time was sausages, which are high in nitrites and nitrates, which are class 2 carcinogens, known to cause cancer in high dosages. The second time was fried fish. And we'll learn a little bit about fried food and heated food and acrylamide in a moment.
2: He's trying to slowly kill
1: me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So what's so bad about acrylamide, and what is it?
2: So in the previous slide, you saw the, all these yummy foods that you might be eating for Thanksgiving in a couple of days. So some of those starchy foods, such as potatoes or bread, um, and these have a lot of sugars, as well as a naturally occurring amino acid called asparagine. When you apply a high heat process to these particular foods, it converts this asparagine into acrylamide, which is carcinogenic.
1: In the UK, the Food Standards Authority has a campaign called Go for Gold where they advise the public to go for a lighter colour when, f- when heating their food. So uh, as a result, I certainly scratch off the, the burnt p- bits of my toast and I, I just cook things that's a little bit less so it's not as dark a colour for those crunchy things.
2: So another product that you might just have in your kitchen right now is that nonstick coating coated pan. And before 2013, your nonstick coated pan was coated with a small 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 amount of perfluorooctanoic acid or PFOA. But some research showed that high dosages of this PFOA can cause you harm. So after 2013, There's small amounts of polytetrafluoroethylene, or PTFE, that is used to help coat these nonstick-coated pans. Um, There's such a small amount in these pans that that's not the real danger. The danger is that when you exhibit high heats to your pans, such as higher than 570 degrees Fahrenheit, it starts to break down this coating, and the fumes start to come up. And so you might get... Um, some flu-like symptoms because of that. So a good practice is if you're going to be using high heats, maybe consider a cast iron or something else.
1: For those non-Americans at home, 570 Fahrenheit is 300 Celsius. Next up, I'm going to talk about some plants because, of course, I am on Instagram as Seattle Food Gardener. That is Instagram (laughs) Seattle Food Gardener. Foxglove is a beautiful and common plant in the US, but eating it is like taking an unregulated dose of heart medicine. Lilies cause kidney failure in rats. Not rats, cats. Probably rats as well. (laughs) Every part of an azalea is toxic, and certainly when I have small children, I'll be ripping those out. Hydrangea contain a very small amount of cyanide. Very small. Mistletoe is very famous for helping to spread the kissing disease, and I've already discussed rhubarb. The fact of the matter is that poisonous plants are everywhere, but we don't go eating random plants. If you're interested in this, I can highly recommend the book Wicked Plants by Amy Stewart. Again, further reading is on our website.
2: Another product that you are going to be consuming anyways, um, but you might want to consider consuming less of, is alcohol. The reason why is because ethanol, which is found in alcohol, goes into your system after ingestion, and your enzymes start to break it down and convert it into acetaldehyde. And acetaldehyde causes cell damage, and so your body's freaking out and it's thinking, oh my gosh, I have to repair, I have to repair, which leads to this uncontrollable cell division, which is cancer. And if you are interested, there is a wonderful um, article under Mother Jones called Did Drinking Give Me Breast
1: Cancer? It's very well researched and if you have time, you can read it. It's long though. Finally, we're going to talk about another product that you will use in the kitchen this holiday period and that is cooking oils. How do you make your decisions for what cooking oils to use? There's a website that I really like called informationisbeautiful.net and they have an article comparing different cooking oils and a very, very small sample I'm showing on screen, but go on their website to see the whole lot. For example, they graphically show that coconut is extremely high in saturated fats which are bad for you. So I don't use them in my kitchen. Truth be told, I just go with simple answers. I don't agonise too much over this. I do use olive oil when I'm sauteing in a frying pan, I do use canola or olive oil, and I've made the decision in my kitchen to go with butter, even though it's higher in saturated fats, I don't use a huge amount of it, I'm not uh, Julia Child. I personally don't buy margarine, although the cu- current modern margarine is safe. There's this notion that we've all heard before, when especially when a study comes out and it's in the media, that everything causes cancer, or, oh, just give it Give it five years and we'll hear another story that something is now preventing cancer or it's causing cancer. There's a jargon term for this, pessimistic induction theory. And there's a really good study where they, they just compare how many studies say something protects against cancer and how much causes it. For example, for, for wine, six studies say that it protects cancer and three says that it causes cancer. This is called a meta-study. Let's talk a little bit about how people trust Well, again, my side of the stage, I, as a marketer, can talk with authority about how people tend to behave, how we tend to trust. We tend to trust the people closest to us, those around us the most, our friends, our family, followed by celebrities, perhaps. Finally, independent reviewers, they might uh, influence us, and, and at very low on that hierarchy, we trust advertisements we know are trying to sell to us. Conversely, scientists don't talk or think about this very much at all. They don't think like this at all. At the very top, they've got meta-studies which might look at dozens, hundreds, thousands of studies and see what the final consensus is. Under that, an individual peer-reviewed study in a journal. And journals themselves have a a star rating system that I didn't know about until recently. Under that, maybe independent investigations and under that, maybe expert opinions. Um, this This is just very, very rough. Uh, If this was one of my marketing classes, I would ask you to talk to the person next to you about where would celebrity influencers fit in in your little hierarchy? Where would micro-influencers fit
2: So I definitely am on that right-hand side of the triangle situation. But not everybody has access to scientific journals, because scientific journals are really expensive. I mean, you could be paying $40 for one. So um, what can you do? I I think most of you are going to probably go on Google or Bing or whatever search engine you're going to be using. So how do you do that appropriately and adequately? Um, start with good sources, government, safety organizations, as well as science-focused um, media. Check the publication date, because if it was published in 2003, and it's 2019, I mean, there might have been a lot of stuff that happened in between. Um, check author credentials. Do they have the educational backing to say what they're saying? Check the site's other articles. See if you agree with what they they are saying in other realms. See both sides, and this is what I really love, um, because that helps you to make a more logical decision. And are they selling something? Also, if they are quoting a resource, go back to the original source and see, have they skewed anything to their benefit?
1: For a moment there, you said Google, Bing, I thought you were going to say Alta Vista, ask Jeeves, <laughs> don't ask Jeeves. <laughs> in conclusion, stay calm. Product safety laws these days are pretty good. And if you don't trust American safety laws, look at the EU safety laws. They tend to be stricter.
2: Use good rules of thumb. You might want to buy more reputable
1: brands. From reputable brick and mortar stores. Research well from good sources of information.
2: Pay more, you might be, um, whether this be in money, time, or inconvenience.
1: And be aware that at the end of the day, You're going to be lax, and there are far more important things that you should be focusing on. So for the last five minutes, I want you to talk to the person next to you and list your list of personal vices and personality defects. (laughs) No. Okay. Uh, Thank you very much. (laughs) You can learn a lot more at dangerousproductstalk.com. There's a really great further reading section where we link to further articles and, and other interesting things as well. Thank you very much.